0: Like our partnerships was an extension of fellowship of koinonia of spiritual forming fellowship. With that in mind, let's continue to worship the Lord through his tithe and our offerings. Father, what a blessing it is, and what a what an offering to be serenaded by such beautiful music. Would you speak your own and sing your own serenade over us as a congregation, as a fellowship, as a as a holy koinonia, as a people called out and together? And as a result, Lord, of becoming more than ourselves, would you extend this very this very vision of your church through partnerships like the Granberries and and, and this Yakima effort. Lord, would you present yourself again as the one who is present with us, God with us, for we pray in your holy name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. was well, good to be back. Uh, many of you have been gone, so you didn't know I was away. <laughs> you missed me, didn't you? I missed you. Actually, this past uh, this past week, we spent a little time with our family. But the week before, I was at the Cove, Billy Graham's uh, Cove in Western North Carolina. It's a training center where they bring really uh, world class uh, presenters, teachers. In this case, it was Walt Kaiser, Dr. Walt Kaiser is the former president of the seminary that I went to in Gordon Conwell, and one of my former professors, and so it was good to reconnect with him and to spend time learning about the Book of Ezekiel all week long through this uh, great eschatological vision of, of the church, this, uh, this uh, es- eschatology is this future theology, and so I know all about uh, you and, and your life and what's going to be happening. Not really. If it's your first time, don't worry, it's, I'm not pretending to be Nostradamus up here, that's just a joke. But, uh, but, to, but to be able to spend that time just having someone pour into my life, just some great teaching, so refreshing. Uh, but while we were there, and I'd never been to the Cove before, beautiful property set aside near uh, Asheville, just east of Asheville. As I say, there are teachers from all over the world that that come, and especially during the summertime for week-long seminars like the one I attended. But I was able to see a little bit uh, into the Graham's life and some of their history, Billy and and his wife, Ruth. And one of the pictures that struck me was this picture of Ruth's uh, gravestone. And on her gravestone, it says this. End of construction. Thanks for your patience. End of construction. Thanks for your patience. And the back story is this. She was riding down towards the end of her life. She was riding down the road. And I guess they had been working on the road. There was some construction on the road. And, and they finally ended that. You've probably seen this before. When they're, they're, they're finished, when you know Public Works is finished with, with all of their construction, uh, they, they put up a sign that says, End of construction. Thanks for your patience. It's a beautiful picture of someone who is a work in progress and knows it. A work in progress and is not ashamed or afraid to say that I'm not there yet because because of this great picture of humanity that's being painted in Romans chapter 8. For the next few weeks, we're going to be going through Romans chapter 8. Just one chapter, perhaps the most beautiful chapter of all Scripture. Romans chapter 8. We're calling it under construction. Under construction. I was going to call it shaped because the idea is that we're being formed. There's a spiritual formation that is at work in your life from, from beginning to end. You're being formed spiritually. But after I saw this this great epitaph of Ruth Bell Graham, I decided to change it to under construction because that is such a picture of each one of us. It's a disarming picture. And it's a picture that we need, not only for ourselves but for our world as well. A disarming picture that that we are on the way, that we're a work in progress, but that there's a great blueprint for humanity. That Jesus came, yes, to pay a penalty, yes, to, to justify us, but also to build us into this great vision of the kingdom of God, a people after his own heart. And that there is a picture of this humanity, not fallen humanity, broken humanity, but a picture of humanity as it was originally intended before the fall. A lot of times we think of, you know, I'm only human, but but to be fully awake and alive as a human being is a good thing. And so Jesus came with power to rebuild us as people. And we can use that message today. The last few weeks, seeing our country act and react, just as the rest of the world acts and reacts. We're starting to see ourselves fragment more and more. It's kind of a balkanization, somebody put it, the balkanization of our our culture. It's heartbreaking to see this. You know, the Balkans, of course, former Yugoslavia, sort of an artificial, artificial construction of all those countries, of Bosnia, Herzegovina, Croatia, into this construct that, 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 that during the Cold War began to, to fall apart and decay, and, and we're seeing some, some of the same kinds of cracks in our country today. There's action and reaction. We are a reactive people. But today, let's take a look at the way we personally personally react. We react very defensively. A lot of times, our defensiveness marks us as a people. We're very defensive. And, and, And to say that, some of you are getting... Even defensive right now, aren't you? I know you're feeling, You're pushing back on this. You know, the worst thing you want to do to somebody who has mono is tell them they have mono, and the worst thing you want to do to, to somebody who has who's defensive is tell them they're defensive. If they weren't defensive, they are now. So, are you feeling defensive yet? But we all have this tendency to defend ourselves. That we were playing a game recently, and and you know it's, the game's called Balderdash, and everybody writes in a little definition, and there's the real definition in the mix, and everybody hands in their card with a definition on it. You've probably played this game, and, and someone's card didn't get pulled up, and they thought that this was the perfect definition, and it was going to win the game, and, and uh, you know, this person was very disappointed, and said, well, you forgot my card, but there's nothing I can do. Once you forget a card, you, know, you, can't, you can't add it to the mix. You know that that's somebody's forgotten card. And so the reaction was a defensiveness. You're like, oh, you didn't put it in the right place. Or, you know, I, I should've, you, you should have let me know. You should have handed it right to me. What's, what are you doing just, you know, laying in the car? You know, that's, that's such a typical scenario for each one of us. In our workplaces, in our families, action, reaction. We're, we're defensive people. Where do we get the confidence? Of a Ruth Bell Graham, of a Ruth Graham who who can say, end of construction. Thanks for your patience. Both both in in the knowing of the vision of humanity, a confidence that, that God is at work building us even now. That we're along the way. That there has been some progress. The confidence there. But also the confidence not to be there yet, not to be somebody who's arrived to be someone who is not quite fully constructed. Where does that confidence come from? What, today, let's, let's take a look at Romans chapter 8. And let's take a look in terms of a couple of signs. Two signs. Two signs that God is indeed in work, at work in your life. Two signs that God has you under construction. Romans chapter 8. Turn with me now, and I'll be reading from the beginning of the chapter uh, through verse 11. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For God has done what God has done through the law, weakened as it was by the flesh. I'm sorry, I'm messing up because I have this passage memorized in the NIV. And uh, I cannot seem to read it in the ESV. What God has done through the law, weak as it was in the flesh, he has done through Christ Jesus, his son. He is incoming in the likeness of sinful flesh. He has condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law... May be met in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit, walking according to the spirit. Verse five. For those who live according to the flesh. Set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit, set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Through his spirit, he dwells in you. May God add his blessing to the reading of this, his holy word. Let us pray. Father in heaven, how we thank you for your word. And we pray that by your Holy Spirit, alive in us, we may receive it. We may receive it as a vision. And we may receive it as a burning desire. In Jesus' name, amen. Two signs. Two signs that God is indeed at work in your life. That you are under construction. A vision and a desire. A vision and a desire. First, a vision. The idea that we have a vision, if you have a vision... For something bigger than yourself, a vision for humanity, a vision a vision for the best version of yourself, the Spirit of God is indeed at work in your life. It's part of what God brings to us through his Holy Spirit is to bring you new life and to bring you a vision of yourself and your life. That is the best version of yourself. Read carefully again with me. Here is the vision. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. The vision is a vision of your life. Lived now without fear of condemnation. That you have the confidence to walk through not defensively. Not constantly justifying yourself, not constantly having to readjust your fig leaf, right? Not having to project at people this imposter or this this, this polished you, or not even to have to invent this you, but... To know that God is beginning again in your life with the end in mind, that he has a blueprint in mind, that he has a full humanity for you in store, a full humanity. That he came, yes, in order to substitute, to justify you, but also to sanctify you, to set you apart, to build in you, to form you spiritually. Not to just give you information that, that brings you hope, but to bring you power that makes you new. You see, it's a new vision for humanity. It's a vision we're desperate to have again before us as a nation. But let's consider the ways that we traded out again and again, the way Aaron and, and, and the Hebrews, when, when Moses was gone on, on Mount Sinai, traded out this grand vision for humanity for something that they could invent, something, something paltry, something that, that only God created and not... God himself. We see this in so many different ways currently in our lives. The way we try to tell each other that we're unique, just like everybody else. <laughs> uh. Beth and I were at, uh, at this water park some years ago. And you know, at a water park, you know, you, you kind of see... Uh, what people have been up to or what they haven't been up to, right? Everybody's in a bathing suit. And we were the only ones, I think, there without body art, all right? Tattoos. We were the only ones, we were the only ones there without a tattoo. And, you know, I'm not coming down on tattoos. I'm not coming down on tattoos. But if you're a young person thinking about getting a tattoo, I, I, I just invite you this summer during vacation, look at your parents, all right? Look at their physique and consider, what will your tattoo look like in 30 years? <laughs> Choose wisely, young one. But here's one of the ways that we try to say that how unique I am like everybody else. One of the ways that we try to project, I remember uh, when I was in high school, there was this whole idea of being a nonconformist, Right? And it always seems like the nonconformists all dressed alike. I didn't quite figure that out. Why? Why is that? There's this drive to, and there's this sense that, that somehow the best version of myself is in competition with God's blueprint. That in giving up this sense of uniqueness, that somehow I'm going to lose a full humanity. No what's being shown to us here in Romans chapter 8 is what God wants for us is his very best and your very ber- best version of you there is no competition between your becoming everything that you can be and what God wants for you they're not in conflict with each other they're not but so often we're projecting we're defensive our defensiveness moves on the offense as well. We're constantly trying to tell everybody that we're okay. I think of Ruth Graham and that epitaph, that, that final word on her gravestone, end of construction. Thanks for your patience. Do you see the confidence there? Do you see the vision, the vision that, that somehow there, there is ahead of us this This grand, beautiful picture of a full humanity. And for her not to live, constantly trying to convince everybody that they're okay. Now I'm going to pick on social media for a minute. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I think it's good to share as long as you're sharing. Is it just sharing? Sharing life and sharing life on life? You know, just because of social media... I found out yesterday my sister spent most of the day in an elevator that had broken down. I, I wouldn't have known that otherwise. That was good. I was glad that, that I was able to know that. But sometimes the sharing on social media is a constant reminding of everyone, to everyone, that I'm okay. And Beth put it this way many years ago. My wife, Beth, said, you know, sometimes social media, it comes across to me like this. It's like the Christmas bragging letter all year round. Remember, that before social media, it was just like the only time you'd hear from those people from high school or college or that wherever you lived once upon a time, you'd only hear from them once a year, and everything was perfect, right? The kids are great. Everything's fine. You know, the new job is going well. Everyone has a new car, and everything's just great. The Christmas letter, right? And you're wondering, where's the, where are the real people in all this? Are there real people behind all this? Where's the confidence that we're not okay, but that's okay? I think of this this image of uh, people working on a great project back in the Middle Ages. And a foreman comes up and sees their masons, and he says, what are you doing? And one says, oh, I'm stacking bricks, stacking stones, one on top of another. He says, okay. He goes to the other one, working on the same project. He said, "What, what are you doing? He says, well, I'm building a wall. And he says to the third one, he says, what are you doing? He says, I'm helping construct a grand cathedral. The same people, same place, same project, but a vision. A vision that drives. Verses 1 and 2. Cast a vision of freedom. That's the word. There is therefore now no condemnation. Freedom to be somewhere along the way. Freedom to continue to be formed. Now, sometimes I think when you hear this, maybe you hear a message about spiritual formation, it probably comes across to some of you like this. You've just been given a gift. It's your birthday and you open up the gift and you see that it it is a card and it is the membership card to a health club. And you say "Honey, what are you trying to say? Here. <laughs> thank you for this gift but thank no thank you, right?" This invitation to spiritual formation is not to say, it's, it's not God wagging his finger. It's not the Holy Spirit saying, you're just not good enough for heaven. It's to say, here's a grand picture of heaven. Let's get more of it into you. It's more like this. It's like you've, you've determined to, to summit Mount Rainier. And you're somewhere along the way, and here comes a friend saying, here's some sustenance and some equipment for your journey. That's Romans chapter 8. That's the spiritual formation path to which each one of us, called to follow Jesus, is called. Spiritual formation. We're under construction according to a blueprint, beginning with the end in mind, a new vision. Second, when you, Not only do you have a new vision, when the Holy Spirit is alive in you, you have a new vision, a new picture of humanity. You also have a new heart, which means you have new desires. New desires. It's so important that you understand, that each one of us understands. Desires matter a whole heck of a lot. A lot of times we think that, that what we need is, is just better information to be better people. But what we really need... Our sanctified desires we need holy desires we need God's best desires we need we need desires for the best things because we become what we love we become like what we love it's not that any of these things I've mentioned that I I've just been picking on this morning are are bad in and of themselves but that sometimes our desires get out of order it's not that, 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 that something like gold in, in the Old Testament, the, the gold of, of, of their jewelry is, is, is bad, but what, what do they do with it? When they begin to put their security and, and a sense of worth in it, when they begin to shift the weight of their identity onto it, they begin to worship it, they begin to become mute, dumb, purposeless people with no vision, no grandeur, And so their desire begins to shape them and they shrink and shrink and shrink. You see, a great life, a great life is one that is ordered around something greater than itself. In the scriptures where it says the mind set, the mind is set. Why is the mind set? Because the heart desires. The mind dwells on what it desires, the mind focuses, the line, mind lines up with, the mind marinates in what it deeply desires. Where are you living in your thoughts? It says the mind set on the flesh. What is the flesh? The flesh is, is simply a word. It's a code word. Paul's code word for broken humanity. It's not just this flesh and blood that, that somehow this is just inherently bad. Jesus walked in the flesh without sin. Remember that. He walked in the flesh but did not sin. What he's talking about is a broken human nature. And when we dwell there on our brokenness and the desires of our broken nature, we shrink. We shrink. And a lot of times what we think is we just need better information. But better information just can be ordered around us, ordered around me, myself, and I. And so you're ordering life if you think that just having the right information is, is going to change you or grow you or form you or bring you to the best version of yourself. Then what you're saying is that, that, that I'm just going to take everything in life and order it around me. And that is the very definition of imprisonment that Jesus came to free us from. The vision is freedom. The path is a path of desire for the best things. You see, at the turn of the century, in, at the dawn of, of, the, of the industrial age, as technology began to help us solve problems, we, the trend, the thinking, the conventional wisdom was to think that we can perfect humanity on our own. Through technology, through better means, just building the right systems, we can perfect our humanity alone. And then something happened. World War One, World War II. And you see these German people who were at really the pinnacle of their life, on the cutting edge of every technology there was, on just, just making grand contributions in art and music. And science, and how broken they remained, how broken they remained, because we need formation, not just information. We need to be formed, and it's not just a matter of saying, "My desires are for the wrong thing." You know, I need to, I need to learn to resist that third piece of cake. Right? That wasn't such a good idea last night. That third piece of chocolate cake. It's not just a matter of turning away from something. That name Charles Duhigg wrote a book called, called uh, I can't remember exactly the full title, it's about habits. The power of habit, I think is what it's called. The power of habit. And he says, you know, one of the take-home messages from this, this whole uh, book of his, this whole study of habits is that you can't just break old habits, you have to replace them with new ones. You see, this whole passage of of Romans chapter 8 is really about substituting Jesus substituting his life for our life Jesus substituting his death for our death Jesus substituting his power for our power but we're not just a turn from old habits you see we're replacing them with new ones and to replace a new habit means we have to form a new desire John Piper puts it this way, when he takes the, the the Westminster Catechism, the first question of it, the most famous question is, what is the chief end of man? What's the chief end of our humanity? It's to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. In his book, Desiring God, Piper puts it this way. He says, the chief end of man, our chief end, is to glorify God by desiring him forever. See, what he's doing there is he's saying, what Paul is saying is Romans, in Romans chapter 8, your desires need to be fixed on the life of the Spirit. Your desires need to be shaped. Your desires need to be indwelt with the Spirit so that your loves will be placed in order again. That brings us to a greater sense of freedom to walk around as works in progress, to be able to say with Ruth Graham, End of construction. Thanks for your patience. Wendell Berry painted this image. He said this. He said, I'm trying to teach my mind to bear the long, slow growth of the fields and to sing of its passing while it waits. The farm must be made a form, endlessly bringing together heaven and earth Light and rain, building back again the shapes and actions of the ground. When you come to this table, there's a certain plowing, a tilling.